sideways rain and hail, 130 kilometre per hour winds, giant electricity transmission lines brought crashing to the ground. These are not normal things in Victoria, but it's exactly what people across the state experienced yesterday. I know you were texting in the dark yesterday for more information. More than a half a million properties were without power. Still, this afternoon, it seems around 174,000 homes and businesses haven't been switched back on yet. And the energy regulator says it could take days, if not weeks, to fully restore. So is this a failure of the grid? And what can we do to make our energy networks more resilient? After all, we know this uh, kind of event will become more and more common given the science of climate change. Associate Professor Roger Dargaville is a director of the Monash Energy Institute. Roger, what exactly happened to the network yesterday? I mean, I saw some pretty evocative pictures of giant uh, transmission lines completely uh, severed in half. What is the cause of yesterday's power disruptions in Victoria? Yeah, thank, thanks, Andy. You, you, you really got it there in the introduction. It was that extreme weather event, uh, a squall line that passed through Melbourne uh, just after lunchtime, with very high wind speeds, over 120, 130 kilometres an hour. And between Melbourne and Geelong, uh, two of the very high-voltage transmission lines that are, you know, are the backbone of the transmission network were, were destroyed. So an extraordinary event. When those power lines went down, that caused a disruption through the electricity grid. And that disruption caused the Luoyang A power station, one of the biggest power stations in Australia, to trip off, to disconnect from the grid, much like the fuse blowing in your home. So that uh, that left us with you know, two gigawatts short of, of capacity, and so lots of, of homes were without power, homes and businesses. In addition to that, there was multiple, multiple events of uh, wind damage to the low-voltage transmission network, the poles and wires down your street, trees bringing down those power lines. So as well as major disruption to the big generators, lots of disruption to the region or the, the, the local transmission networks, uh, distribution networks serving individual homes. If the Victorian grid wasn't so uh, reliant on the Luoyang A coal-fired power station and perhaps there was other forms of reliable uh, power, would this have happened? It, it, very hard to say, of course, we are, but what, what we would expect to see in a more distributed renewable energy future where we have wind and solar plant um, scattered across the, the landscape with more transmission lines connecting it all together to bring that power to the, the energy users, is that if we were to lose one or two transmission lines in a storm event, we would have enough additional transmission to keep the system alive and we wouldn't lose as much generation and we wouldn't lose as many customers. I mean, just looking at the footage from Victoria, it really looks like more of a storm you'd see in North Queensland rather than the south of the country. And as climate change continues to bring more extreme weather, what can we do to make this system more resilient? I mean, you mentioned the distributed energy model, but there's still obviously some degree of transmission involved in that. So whether when it comes to the fallen power lines, that still could be the issue. Where do we look for when it comes to making our systems more resilient? To, to have a resilient power system, you need a few things. Uh, you want redundancy, so more capacity than you actually need, so that if you do lose some, you can draw upon that spare capacity to keep going and buffer the system. In an electrical energy system, uh, frequency is a really important part of that. So the oscillating current, uh, the 50 hertz component, keeping that stable is really, really critical. And as we shut down coal-fired power stations, we're losing some of that physical inertia, 
but you know, very clever, clever um, electrical engineers are developing uh, systems of synthetic inertia using inverters. So by building more of those systems, we can keep the frequency stable. And, and then having battery storage. Battery storage is going to be really, really important in the system. Batteries uh, can inject power into the grid with you know, sub-second response. So it's very quick to fix problems in the grid. It can also draw power from the grid very quickly if required. So that can help balance supply and demand, which in, in our grid have to be balanced perfectly at all times, which make it, make it a very difficult system to manage. It's uh, 21 minutes past five. Associate Professor Roger Dargaville is here. With, uh, he's the director of the Monash Energy Institute. Uh, we're talking about yesterday's, well, largely statewide power outage, up to a, a half a million Victorians without power yesterday. Some 174,000 homes and businesses still haven't been switched back on. I mean, there's this sort of suggestion, and going to your earlier point about the distributed energy model, microgrids have been long touted as the solution there. They could play a kind of role in particularly more remote communities. I mean, is there much research on microgrids, particularly in the face of rising climate-related emergencies? Yeah, certainly. So the big advantage of a microgrid is that essentially you're sharing resources within a community. So rather than just having your home with your PV and your battery and maybe your electric vehicle, if we look into the future, you have a system of interconnected solar panels, battery storage, EV charging, so that if any one component in that fails or isn't available, you can draw on your neighbours, your community, to get those same services. So it provides an additional level of redundancy and security to keep that community stable. And, and also it helps with energy efficiency because rather than wasting your solar panel uh, power because you're not using it, it can be used by your neighbours. So even just in normal day-to-day -day use, microgrids are really useful for improving efficiency and reducing costs. Associate Professor Roger Dargaville there, Director of the Monash Energy Institute. Thanks for your time this afternoon. My pleasure. Thanks, Andy. Getting in touch with ABC RN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.